In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as you just heard, today we begin our journey through the church calendar, the liturgical cycle. And we begin this journey with the season of Advent. And as you just heard, Advent simply means arrival, or coming, or presence. But that word arrival, right, arrival is what the whole church year is about. The Son of God has broken into history. He has now redefined how we understand all of human history, how we understand ourselves. He has arrived to save humanity, to save us, to save all creation from the consequences of sin. His arrival has made all the difference. Whether that's Christmas, Epiphany, Ash Wednesday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, Ascension, Pentecost, Reformation, All Saints Day, each Sunday in the cycle centers around God's arrival for us. So these Sundays in Advent, though, they're not understood as kind of a pre-Christmas or a little Christmas celebration. And don't get me wrong, I, along with you and the rest of the world, will absolutely engage in all the Christmas festivities that happen in December. Believe it or not, in my house, there's already Christmas music playing, there's a tree up, there are lights up, decorations up, and don't feel guilty about that. But on these Sunday mornings in this sanctuary, something else is happening. In Advent, we're called to look inward at our hearts. And looking inward, we're called to ask, am I ready? Am I prepared for the arrival of Jesus? Am I truly looking forward to the coming of Christ in Bethlehem? Am I looking forward to his coming at the end of the age? Am I looking forward to his coming in this very church through the gifts of word and sacrament? And so as Lutherans, we understand that Advent has all of those deep layers of meaning. We look forward to the arrival of Christ at Christmas, at the end of time, and presently even in the sacrament. And so Christians then, we're always looking forward to the arrival of Christ. We live our lives as Advent people. And because we're always looking forward to that arrival, our life as Christians is always one of preparation. Whether that arrival is Christmas, at the sacrament, or at the end of times, we are preparing. Then our gospel this morning, Jesus tells the disciples to be on guard and to be alert. In verse 34, Christ says, Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. And in verse 36, he says, Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Right? Christ tells us to prepare, to be alert. And he even in this text gives us three things to avoid in order to be alert. He says to avoid dissipation, drunkenness, and the worries of life. And these three things, I think we can take them both literally and spiritually. So, for example, in English, to be dissipated is to lose your moral grounding. It's to be self-indulgent and wasteful. But the Greek word here is much, much more specific. The Greek word Jesus uses here that gets translated dissipated literally means to be hungover. I think Bible translators are just too polite to put hungover in the scriptures. But the word shows up over and over in Greek medical literature 
to describe the illness that follows participating in a drinking party. Right? And Jesus' point is, you want to avoid that kind of state because that kind of state kills your motivation to be alert. If you've purposely made yourself feel sick, given yourself a headache, you're exhausted and dehydrated, but you don't want to go to work, right? Even if you enjoyed the night before. So Christ is saying you want to avoid putting yourself in a state that demotivates you, right? We want to avoid purposely making ourselves sick because in such a state, we don't desire to pray. We don't desire to be alert to the temptations of this world. Spiritually, then, we want to avoid participating in activities and circumstances that will distract us and demotivate us. We want to avoid thinking, for instance, staying out late on Saturday night is more important than being at worship on Sunday morning. We want to avoid putting ourselves into spiritual stupors. Christ then says to avoid drunkenness. Again, I think we can see this in both a literal and spiritual way. Of course, when you're drunk, you lose your full grip on your sense of reality. Right? Being drunk is to try to find a sort of alternate state to help you forget yourself. You cannot be alert and prepared if you're drunk. But to be spiritually drunk is to become consumed with the pleasures of this world so that you're no longer mindful and alert to the presence of God. To be spiritually drunk is to pursue the things of this world so that the world becomes about yourself. It is to find that which will distract you from the most important questions in your life. It is to become numb. And that's what Jesus is really warning us about, isn't it? Whether you're drunk or hungover, you are numb to the expectations of his arrival. People drink in excess to numb something. Whether they're numbing physical pain, emotional trauma, the stresses of this world, they seek to be taken out of these troubles. But in becoming numb, we too become disconnected from the truth around us. And so there's the literal warning here. You must avoid abusing alcohol to make yourself numb in this world. But you also have to avoid the things that will make you spiritually numb. And these are too many to list, but in our society, sex and money and achievement, substance abuse and entertainment, these are all things that people abuse to become numb to themselves and numb to the world. We can also numb ourselves with the routines of life. Whereas Christ says in verse 34, the worries of this life. We can get to a spiritual state where we wake up, get dressed, go to work, come home, eat dinner, go to bed, and repeat. And we can fall into the trap where we think that's all life is. We can begin to think that life is just the same routine lived over and over, and then we spend little time in prayer, little time in worship, little time discovering the presence of God in our lives. And that's how many people live. Right? With many people, you can begin to speak of spiritual things, talk about the gospel with people, but as soon as you do, ego sets in, E-G-O, their eyes will just glaze over. When you talk of spiritual things, when you talk about God's activity in this world, for many people, you might as well be speaking Greek. We get so entrenched in the routine of work and consumption that we lose our sense of awe and wonder at God's transcendence. We're even tempted to do it in church. All of us are. 
right? Sunday becomes a routine. We come, we sit, we stand, we sing, we confess, we listen, and we forget that this is all more than a routine, that we're confessing something more than just a ritual. We forget that it's right here that Christ promises to meet us. We forget that Christ arrives here and speaks to us and assures us of his love. The Catholic priest and theologian Henry Nowlin writes that getting caught up in the worries of this life is like being away from home. He writes, Today, worrying means to be occupied and preoccupied with many things, while at the same time being bored, resentful, depressed, and very lonely. And I'm not trying to say that all of us are worried in such an extreme way all the time, yet there is little doubt in my mind that the experience of being filled yet unfulfilled touches most of us to some degree. In our highly technological and competitive world, it's hard to avoid completely the forces that fill up our inner and outer space and disconnect us from our innermost selves. One of the most notable characteristics of worrying is that it fragments our lives. The many things to do, to think about, to plan for, the many people to remember to visit or talk to, the many causes to attack or defend, all these pull us apart and make us lose our center in God. Worrying causes us to be all over the place, but seldom at home. One way to express the spiritual crisis of our time is to say that most of us have an address, but we cannot be found there. And that's exactly what Christ is getting at in our Gospels. Christ wants us to avoid being numb to his presence. It's easy to fragment our lives into pieces and to spend our days worrying about all of those little pieces. But Christ wants us to be at home when he arrives, not away losing ourselves in the world's concerns. He wants all the little pieces of our life to have a common goal and a common end, which is to exist for his glory. And having the pieces of our life together in his name and for his purposes, he wants us to be alert, to be on guard. He wants us to live a life of expectation. To the disciples, he says, stand up, raise your heads to the sky. In other words, expect his arrival, expect that he is near. He then later tells his disciples, pray, pray in expectation. Right, and praying faithfully in expectation that Christ is near is the exact opposite of spiritual numbness. The best and simplest definition of prayer is lifting your heart up to the Lord. Luther says that prayer is climbing up into the heart of God. But to lift your heart up to the Lord is to confess his nearness. This is to confess that he listens to you, that he cares about you. To pray is to believe there is more to this world than what we see. There's more to life than the routine, day-to-day business we find ourselves engaged in. And so as Christ tells us here, the best preparation for his arrival is prayer. Because prayer acknowledges his nearness. So we return to what we've said about the Christian season of Advent. In the season of Advent, we ask, am I ready? And there's no asking that question aside from answering it in prayer. You are ready when you have committed yourself to prayer. The season of Advent then is simply a time to kick us out of that numbness, to wake us up, and to encourage us to pray, because he is near. 
In particular, this is a time to help us wake up to the realities of how Christ is coming to us. We confess that he's come to us in a barn in Bethlehem, not a crib in a palace. He's come to us as a boy in Nazareth and not a wealthy prince in Jerusalem. He has come to us as the king who reigns from a cross. And even now, he comes to us in the most common substances of bread and wine. He comes to us through the word of scripture being read and proclaimed. Not in these things that are important to the world, but he comes to us in the things so overlooked. And so we have to be awake. We have to be prepared. How will he come to us at the end of time? Well, we don't know. Can't say exactly. But we know he'll come in his goodness and his holiness. And so we ask ourselves, are we prepared? And we pray that we will be prepared. We pray for eyes to know him, to recognize him, and to love his presence. And so we pray that we, too, will be alert. Amen.